fundamentals. Because um, I've seen it so many times, and, and I think people in the so I hate using this term, but I'm going to the people in the grace camp, I think we're especially susceptible to it, <coughs> that we get bored with the basics really quick. And what ends up happening usually is we become drawn to these teachers who we refer to as deep. They're deep. You know, five or six years ago when one of you would come up to me and say, you're deep, that would have blessed my socks off. But do you know now that when you tell me that I'm deep, that does nothing for me? And when you tell me I'm deep, you know what that means to me? I didn't teach it good enough. It's not simple enough. Because the gospel is simple. The gospel is so simple that Paul said, I can go to the Jews and I can preach it to them. I can go to the Gentiles and I can preach it to them and they can all understand it. In, in uh, Mark chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus gave his most important uh, teaching according to his own words, he said, listen, if you don't understand this parable, then you won't understand any of my parables. The first seed that he speaks about, the first hearer that he speaks about, is the person who heard the word but did not understand it. So if you hear something and you don't understand it, it can't benefit you. Okay? So if you're hearing a message that is too complicated to share with others, it's not a good message. It's probably something you should turn off. There's so much power in just the basic truths of our faith. Yeah, that's true. We just talked about the Super Bowl. Do you know in, in two weeks when you watch that game, what you are going to be watching is the two teams who have mastered the fundamentals? There's four teams right now left. We'll find out who the last two teams are but um, today, but... Those two teams will not have got there by playing a trick play every, every play. They're the ones who, who, you know, the most boring football is the football that they're just running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, running the ball. Why? Because it's the safest play. So for us at home, it's kind of boring to watch, but how I many knows that'll win games? Because they're, they've mastered the fundamentals. And so... I just share all that to say, let's not get to this place where we think, oh, this is too basic. This is too easy. Okay? The basics is where victory is won. All right? And so as I, as I really came into this, this new year, the um, Lord was just really ministering to me. And I got like a lot of feedback. It, it might be. I'll just use the handheld. It's no big deal. Okay, are we on? Yeah, we're good. Okay. So, um, the Lord just really began dealing with me on how just the fundamentals are, are so powerful and, and so effective. And so, I just share that. You know, and one key that I give people, you know, if, if you're hearing, hearing a person and they sound deep, listen to the vocabulary. You know, that, that's like a little, a little something I figured out. If you hear them using words that you don't read in the New Testament much, it's probably, it's pro it's, they don't 
they've went beyond the basics, right? They've went beyond the fundamentals. So all this just to say, let's get back to the basics. Let's get back to the fundamentals because that is really where the power is. And this morning, what I'm going to share with you is so basic. It's so fundamental, but it's so important that we get a hold of this because this is one of those truths that we everybody in here knows this. But every one of us have had moments in our lives where I think this morning you'll be able to think, you know what, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't putting that into practice even though I knew to do that. All right? So let's go to Romans chapter 10, verse 5. Um, Paul speaking here, he says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. So he, he's... In Romans chapter 10, Paul's bringing out the two kinds of righteousness, the two types of righteousness. And he says there is a righteousness which is of the law. And how do you go about that righteousness? The man who does them shall live by them. So righteousness of the law is about doing. All right? Verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks. All right? So the righteousness of the law does but the righteousness of faith speaks. All right? So this is important to know. So when you read in the Old Testament, you can see in that covenant, under the Old Covenant, you can read this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that that righteousness was about doing. But now let me say this. Even though that was a law God put in place, anytime he seen someone who operated in faith, their faith overcame the, the law of do. The law of speak overcame the law of do. The law of faith overcame the law of do. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, David. David was someone who, according to the law, should have been stoned for committing adultery, for having Bathsheba's husband murdered. He should have been stoned, but because in his heart was faith, he wasn't stoned. Why? Because that law is always greater, that mercy is greater than judgment, right? So God's heart has always been faith, so wherever God has seen faith, no matter the covenant, he's honored it. That's why the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, see, we go to the book of Hebrews and we just see, we just see works, 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 laws, laws, here, kill an animal here, kill an animal there, sacrifice, sacrifice, feast, feast. The author of Hebrews, he went to the, to the Old Testament. You know what he's seen? Faith, 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 faith. Everywhere he looked when he read the Old Testament, he's seen faith. Faith. All right, so when we read the Old Testament, I ministered on this a couple of weeks ago. We weren't able to be here, but um, <laughs> the Old Testament, it's all about how you read it and the heart with which you read it. But let's go on. I'm, I'm going to get off on something that I do not want to talk about. Uh, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now that word salvation, uh, now we know these verses. Listen, I began ministry in the Baptist church. We could quote this front and backwards, right? Every message, like we had two verses. We had Romans 3.23, you know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we had Romans 10.9 and 10, right? We knew how to get you saved, but yet at the same time how to make you feel really bad about yourself, okay? We, We had that down. We knew how to do that. So... But, but th- this is telling us how we enter the kingdom, right? It is telling us how we become born again, by believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. But now this word salvation is so much more than uh, a ticket to heaven. It's so much more than a transfer of kingdoms. It's so much more of going from being a child of the devil to a child of the king. It's so much more than that, and we know this here. Salvation means, man, it means healing. It means deliverance. Whatever you need in life, this Greek word soteria covers it all, right? So what he's actually saying is the way you get any of these things is through the beliefs of your heart and the words of your mouth. Now, a couple weeks ago when we, when we did a live stream on, on, on Facebook, I spoke about the beliefs of the heart. And I talked about how leaven is a type of the beliefs of our heart. And what I'm going to talk about today, though, is the confession part. And again, this is something I think, especially if you've came up in here in faith teaching, that we think we've got this. But I'm telling you, if you think about the times in your life when you've been stressed out, when you've been freaking out, if you'll really evaluate things, you've not been using your words to line up with God's. I mean, I'm just, I'm talking to myself, all right? But we want to get to that place where, where this is just automatic, right? It's, it's what we do. Go with me to James chapter 1. I want to show you something interesting. James chapter 1, because this seems, James chapter 1 verse 22, this seems to contradict what we just read. That the righteousness which is of the law is about doing, but the righteousness which is of faith is about speaking. All right, look here at James chapter 1 verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, this seems like a total contradiction. Because it seems like Paul is saying, all right, righteousness isn't about doing, it's about speaking. And then it seems like James here is saying, well, righteousness is actually about doing, not just about hearing and speaking. But this word doer is really interesting in the Greek. In the Greek, you know what this word doer means? You can look it up. It means a performer, specifically a poet. Now, let me ask you something. What is a poet good with? Words. A poet is someone who has mastered the use of words. So when he's talking about doing here, he's and, and here here's something else that's important. I'm giving you kind of a litmus test for the teaching that you're hearing. What can you do with the word that you're hearing? 
Because if all it's doing is filling your head up with information, making you feel a little bit deeper about this revelation that you're receiving, if there's nothing that you can do with it, if there's, if there's nothing that you can speak by faith from it, then it's a vain message. It does no good. But, but here James is actually saying, listen, don't just hear the word, speak it. That's actually what James is saying. Don't just be someone who hears, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God. Don't just hear it, speak it. And James is saying if you'll get to that place where you'll begin to speak it, that's when righteousness goes into effect. That's when, you know, my favorite definition of righteousness is as it should be. And so when you learn to, to use your words and speak by faith, that's when things begin to line up as they should be. All right? So let's go to Mark chapter 11 and verse 22 through 24. These are the words that Kenneth Hagin wrote. Um, Anybody that didn't laugh, you don't know who you did. You don't know who Kenneth Hagin is. It's all good. If you've ever heard Kenneth Hagin preach, it's like every single time. All right, we're going to turn to Mark chapter eleven, verse twenty-two. Uh, praise God for Kenneth Hagin. Amen. Um, Mark eleven, verse twenty-two says, "So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God.' And we know that your most literal translations will say, "Have the God kind of faith" or "Have the faith of God." Now. What it's calling attention to, there's, there's two ways we can look at this. One, how God used his faith in Genesis chapter 1. God used his faith. In, so when it says, and God said, let there be light. In the Hebrew, that word said is referring to much more than speaking. Just, just letting words out. In the Hebrew, it's referring to God as first seen an image in his heart. He's first, he's first got a belief in his heart, and out of that belief, he's spoken. All right? So he's actually speaking what he's seeing in his heart. You can never, where we went wrong with this message is we've tried to disconnect the beliefs of the heart from the words of the mouth. All right? And we can never do that. Biblically, they don't, that's not the way it's supposed to work. But there's another way to look at this, have faith in God, do things the way God says to do them. Like, we are so, sometimes I think, man, sometimes us grace people, we've almost got too smart. Because sometimes, you know, like I've had people like, well, you know, you bring up something in Proverbs. No, well, that's, that's, that's Old Testament. Listen, Proverbs makes it so simple that a lost person can follow those, though, that wisdom and they can prosper. How much more should a believer be able to take those principles, put them into effect, and, and prosper? Now, when I say prosper, I'm not just talking about money, just living life righteously as it should be, right? So look here, verse, verse 23. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Now, I want you to know this. Notice this. Be removed and be cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So notice he says three times, if you will say. And he says you will have what you say. Now let me ask you something. Do you believe this? 
If you really believe this, do you believe that what you have in your life right now is a product of what you say? Now this, you can receive this with condemnation, but you don't have to, right? Because what I love about, about stuff like this is, see, if the issue is with God and it's God's sovereignty, then I'm in trouble because there's nothing I can do about that. But if the issue is on my end without condemnation, there's never any condemnation to us, then all I got to do is line my heart up with God's. All I got to do is repent, change my mind, surrender my view and opinion in favor of God's. Right? So Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, we all know this. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now, isn't it interesting he said that? Because I think if you asked 100 Christians this morning, where, how do you, what determines life or death? What do you all think you'd hear? I think the first thing you'd hear is God. God determines life or death. God determines blessing or cursing. If it's God's will. So, so they, they blame it's either God's sovereignty or it's the enemy's traps, right? But in Proverbs, Solomon said, no, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We live in a world right now that is plagued with problems, right? It's plagued with issues. But guess what? Life and death isn't in those issues. Life and death isn't in those problems. Life and death isn't in uh, laws that the government's going to make or who the president is. Laws, the, those don't dictate life and death. What dictates, dictates life and death? Your tongue. So if we're to the degree that we're experiencing death is to the, to the degree that we've been speaking death. To the degree that we're experiencing life is to the degree that we are speaking life. All right? And I, and I love this here because, listen, every one of us, words are so powerful. And I'm going to tell you how, how subtle the enemy is. Do you realize, one of the, listen, social media is so great. I'm sure many of you, some of you in here this morning, I first met on social media for I ever met here in church. Thank God for social media. We're able to preach the gospel to people. But one bad thing it's done is I think it has devalued how people view words. Jesus talked about careless words, right? And he warned us about careless words. Social media has made it to where... We don't place a value on words. They're just our, we, we just, we just, man, like, listen, my biggest pet peeve is when, is when I post something <laughs> and somebody comes on there and shares their disagreement and does it in a rude way, right? There's, I'm all for, I don't mind disagreement, right? That doesn't bother me. But when they do it in a rude way, the Bible says in Proverbs, it says a fool, I think this is in the New Living Translation, it says the fool, he has no interest in understanding. He only wants to voice his own opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Facebook. Solomon told us about Facebook Thousands of years ago, a fool has no, no intention of understanding, just 
expressing and airing out his own opinion. Right? We need to get to this place where we value the words that we speak. And when I say speak, I also mean type. I also mean, you know, write. Whatever it is, however we use words, we need to get to this place where we value the words we speak. You know, and I, this is one thing that I really strive to do. And when, when some of you, if, if, if you all get up with me and ask me a question or ask me to pray about something, something people will notice about me, and I usually tell them when they first start talking to me, I will rarely respond right away. One reason is I am busy with a, a two-year-old that is just like, man, he's like, oh, God, I'm trying to not use like a word that I shouldn't use in church, but he's like it on wheels, all right? Uh, it, is, it is just, man, he's t he tears everything up. But a big part of that is I want to be really careful in how I speak over people. And I want to make sure that what I'm saying is in line with the heart of God. And sometimes the problem is, is that comes with correction and you want to make sure you issue that correction in a loving way, right? But then sometimes you, you, you because listen, and then there's times you just need to have, you just, again, I'm, I'm talking about Facebook this morning. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. But Facebook has made it where people feel like, I can't say that, I gotta have an opinion, right? And, but, I just try to be really careful with how I minister words to people. Because guys, and every one of us in here have experienced it, where you seek counsel from somebody, you seek advice from somebody, and their words cut you like a knife. Like they may have not even said anything wrong, but it's the way in which they put it that just cut you. And what should have been life to you ends up being death because now you're in condemnation over it. So something that is very valuable to me is how I use my words towards others. And we need to get to that place. We have got to, and you know when you will get to that place as far as how you, how you minister to others is when you truly begin to value people. Again, problem with social media. We don't value people. Most people on social media value their opinions more than people. Most people on social media value um, their likes, their comments, their shares more than they value people. I've had two good friends of mine. Well, Jeremiah was one of them. Then I had another pastor friend of mine who has, within the last week or two, shared opinions about how we, or shared, uh, made posts on Facebook about how we should share the truth in love, something along those lines. They didn't use those words, but... That's basically what they were talking about. And on both those, those posts, there was people commenting, basically defending their right. And I just told Jeremiah, I was like, they're basically on there defending their right to be a butthead, yep. right? Like, well, you know, you got to speak the truth, though, right? I mean, you know, it, it hurts. And, and, and my other friend, he made a post saying, he's like, listen, the truth never intentionally hurts anyone. That's never its intention. Right? It's not, truth doesn't look at it, it truth isn't like, okay, I'm a, I'm, I'm a sword and I'm just going to tear stuff up, right? I'm a machete. That's not the way truth works. Truth always is to be offered in love. And people just, they, they, they love, 
And that, why do they do that? Because they value their opinions more than they do people. Why do you think Paul talked about preaching the truth in love? Because love values people. And truth, listen to this, truth values people. If your truth is harsh, if it's condemning... Now listen, I'm not saying it's just pie in the sky and we never correct anyone, we never, we never uh, call people to repent and things like that. But any, when you value people, you will always present truth in a way that will edify them. Your goal is, my goal, when I have to disagree with people, I try to make sure that my goal is to never defend myself. Because I don't have to defend myself. And the moment I feel like I have to defend myself, I've stepped out of love. All right? I've stepped out of love and I've stepped out of my identity. And now I'm in the flesh. Why? Because I have to be right. How dare you challenge me, right? And so I've had people over the last, in the last week that have commented disagreements on my post, and here I've went and I've commented back to them, and I've immediately deleted it. One of them seen it. I, don't, I, I think another one didn't. But because why? Because I realized I was defending myself. Now, there's people who ask me questions, and I, I like to get on there and I like to ask, but these people came at me, you know, in disagreement. And what I found myself doing was defending myself. And, I, and how, how do you know whether you're defending yourself or you're just step, uh, standing up for the truth? What's your goal in what do you hope to achieve by responding to this person, right? Well, let me tell you something. Not very many people's minds have been changed through social media. I love your all's posts, but there's not one person in here who's ever made a post that made me say, you know what, I changed my mind about that. Not once, all right? Love you all. But it's not happened. And you probably say the same thing about me. Now, I've received revelation from you guys, right? And you've received revelation from me. But opinions rarely change through social media. Just, just rarely. I don't know why I'm talking about this, because this is not what I came to preach on. But it is what it is. Um, guys, we just need to value people. And the way that we value people is, with the, is one of the, the most important ways we value people is with our words. And I'm trying to be real careful with what I say, but growing up, thank God for the home I was raised up in, but sometimes words were used to cut, and they cut like a knife. And to this day, those words that I think no longer have bearing on me, I hear them, right? I find myself doing things, I'm like, why am I doing this? And I hear those voices. I hear those words. We need to use our words to build people up, not tear them down. Listen, there is a lot of talk right now, and, and you know, I understand what some people mean about this, but like, there's a lot of talk right now about deconstruction. And I know some people mean different things by that, but I never read in the Word where God's about deconstruction, but I do read where He's about edification. God's more... more He's more about building up than he is tearing down. So even when I have to change some beliefs in my heart, I never tear people down in the process. And so I know people mean different things by deconstruction, but a lot of the people I know who get into deconstruction, what they end up doing is taking a sledgehammer to people's hearts. Although they claim they're tearing down a theological house, they're actually tearing down people's lives. And they're, they're, they're just, man, I don't know. I don't know why I'm getting into that, but... 
Let's value people with our words. All right. Let's 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 read on. That that was that's free of charge. That was all Holy Ghost right there. Amen. Um, let's go to to Luke chapter seventeen. And and Jesus says the same thing here. Um Actually, let's go to let's let's go to James chapter five. Go to James chapter five first and verse fourteen. Yeah, James chapter five, verse fourteen. Wherever I told you to go this morning, it's totally fine. It's not gonna be no big deal. Uh, I'm probably not even gonna talk about what I'm going here to talk about. So that's just the way this morning is going. Uh James chapter five, verse fourteen. So, but something I do want to point out about Mark chapter eleven, verse twenty-three is Jesus says, "If you would say, be removed and be cast into the sea." I want you to notice, based on whatever translation you use, Jesus says, "If there's a mountain in your way, all it takes to move it is seven words." He says, "All you need to move it are seven words." Think about that and how powerful that is. All you need to do, whatever the situation is this morning, all you need to do is speak. And here's the thing. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to intercede for the nations. Right? Uh, The other night I was part of a a Zoom meeting. Man, praise God, it was an awesome meeting. But uh, some, some... some leaders of army and things like that, but um, man, there was a. He got to closing, and and this brother, man, I was like, he prayed for fifteen minutes. I was like, dude, I was done in thirty seconds. Like I was at thirty seconds in, I was like, yes, like looking at the Zoom, like you know, like are we done yet? You know, is everybody else like nodding, bowing? Do I got to bow and stuff like that? But uh, man, but righteousness which is a faith knows its authority so when it speaks it knows that it has accomplished what it just said right so let's look at an an example of this in James chapter 5 and verse 14 is anyone among you sick Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I... I just can't get past this. Listen, notice this is a major part. We, we normally jump straight to or we focus on uh, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church and pray for one another. But there's part we leave out here, and it's this right here. Confess your trespasses to one another. But, you know, to do that, you have to be in a vulnerable community. You have to be around people that you can confess your trespasses to and know that you won't be judged for them. Right? 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, so listen here, he's going to tell us how to have effective, fervent prayer. He said the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Here's why we're here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So notice he says here that Elijah prayed earnestly. Now, I grew up in Pentecostal churches, and Man, I can't tell you how many sermons I heard that made me feel like junk because I didn't stay up all night praying. And I can remember when I first got saved, I tried it, and I was horrible at it. I was done in 10 minutes. I didn't know that many people, and I didn't know what else to do. I wasn't praying in tongues yet, so I didn't know what else to do. All right? So, but that's, and, and also it had to like, it had to be like loud. You know what I mean? Like, it had to be, you had to get mean you, you had to really mean it. Like, a, like a fervent prayer is, you know, like you're sweating, you're red, you know, fervent. You know, like you're, you're going to pop a blood vessel. And, uh, and <laughs> but here, this is the only time this is talked about, fervent prayer, right? Let's look at what fervent prayer looked like in the life of Elijah. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. So here it is. This is the, the fervent prayer that was effective. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. That's it. Three years, no rain. He Notice what happens here. He doesn't ask God anything. He doesn't intercede for one person. He doesn't pop one blood vessel. He doesn't sweat uh, uh, one, one bit. He just stands before the king and he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives. That's what Jesus was talking about, have faith in God. Before whom I stand, there shall not be. He did not say, he, he didn't rebuke a demon. He didn't call forth any angels. James said that he was a righteous man. Right, so so remember the the right, the righteousness of faith does what speaks. So here we see a righteous man speaking. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. What is that? Thirteen, fourteen words. Jesus said we only need seven. Elijah did fourteen. Man, the new covenant truly better, right? But listen, I'm just saying, like. If you time that, you read that in three seconds. I go to, uh, when I go to churches, you know, we don't do it as much here just because we're a smaller church. We're, we're, we're more like a family. But like when I go minister at other churches and we have prayer after and I pray for people, I'm always amazed at how, like they come up 
You know, they give you their story. They tell you what they need prayed for. And I'm literally done in five seconds praying for them. And I, and I look at them, and I can't tell you how many times it's like, let's see it. You got, you want to pat me on the head, do something, right? You know, you got to do something. Um, all I got to do is speak the word. And I can't tell you how many times, I've, I, I mean, I've had this happen numerous times. I've done that quick prayer for people. I look at them, and they're just looking at me, and I'm like, well, is it still hurt? And all of a sudden, they're like, no. No, it don't hurt. Right? Why? Because the righteousness of faith speaks, and it knows when it speaks that it has what it has said. All right? So here we see Elijah. He's this righteous man. And, but let me, let me, let me, now let's go to Luke chapter 17. I want to talk about this real quick because what I want to do real quick before we close is I want to, because this has been abused, people have questions when it comes to this subject. Um, for example, let me talk really quick about a blessing. Um, this is the way we tend to view a blessing in our culture and it's not the biblical way of looking at a blessing. A blessing is if I'm up here thirsty and I really need a drink of water and I don't have water and Brian brings me up some water up here and I say thank you. We look at that as a blessing. Why? Because he did something for me. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a blessing, right? I'm, I'm thirsty. But biblically speaking, that's not a blessing. A blessing is a spoken positive. All right? So when it says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, what it actually has more in mind is He has spoken over you every single positive that you would ever need for this life. And what your job is to do is to be that poet who, who speaks it back out. Right? You're just aligning your words with God's words. But, and then what's a curse? Now, over in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, it says that Jesus cursed the fig tree. But all he said, he didn't say, I curse you in the name of Jesus, right? Because he was Jesus, right? He didn't say, I, I, I bind that demon. He, his curse looked a lot different than our curse. His curse said, no fruit grow on you anymore. What was that? All he did was speak a negative. That's what a curse is. A curse is a spoken negative. A blessing is a spoken positive. And listen, you know you understand this subject. When someone asks you, someone who knows their righteous place in Christ, and they ask you, would you rather me give you $1,000 or would you rather me speak a blessing over you? If you say I'll take the $1,000 first, you don't understand the power of a blessing. Because biblically speaking, a spoken blessing is more important than any amount of money. It's more powerful than any amount of money. Read the book of Genesis over and over. Listen, if you want to know how you should die, right? This is, a, this is an encouraging subject. If you want to know how you should die, read the book of Genesis and read how those men died. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. None of them just went suddenly. None of them uh, died feeble and very sick. I love how it always happened. They, 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 they knew that, their time, that, that time was coming for them to go. They gathered all their children, and what did they do? 
They didn't say, all right, now, Jacob, all right, you can have the donkeys. Uh, Esau, you can, have, you can have the tent over there. Uh, right, that, it wasn't about dispersing goods. They would stand before that patriarch, and he would bless them with the words of his mouth. And, and do some research. They, uh, uh, everything they blessed them with always came to pass. Why? Because they understood the power of a blessing. And I'll give you, I'll give you a, a good example. Remember where uh, one of the men, excuse me, it's, 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 it's leaving my mind right now, but where he's praying for the two sons, and he blessed the younger instead of the older. And the father says, no, 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 no. You got to bless this one. You remember that? Why wouldn't he spend like, hey, it's okay. God knows what he means, right? I mean, if he speaks the blessing over that one, it's okay. I know he meant the older one, right? And I'll give you another example. Remember Jacob and Esau? Esau sold his birthright. Uh, but, but remember he went out into the field to bring his, his father back food. And Jacob tricked his father into giving him the blessing. And then Esau comes in after Jacob's been blessed, and he's brokenhearted. And he says, Father, can't you bless me too? Now, here's the way I would have done this. In, the, in, in, in this century, in this culture, if I blessed uh, Finley instead of Graham, and Graham came to me and said, hey, yo, that was my blessing, I'm like, hey, that, I'm sorry, I thought that was you. Let me bless you, because clearly I meant to bless you, not him, right? And you know what, Abraham? He's like, I'm sorry. Isaac's like, I'm sorry. I've already released that blessing. I can't take it back. There's more value to our words than we realize, right? There's more value to our words than we realize. But listen, I'm telling you, a lot of those things, man, I'm telling you, if, there's a, if you don't read much in the Old Testament, just camp out in Genesis. Oh, my gosh, I love Genesis. Anyways, Luke chapter 17, verse 6. So I want to answer a couple questions before we wrap up. Um, Luke chapter 17, verse 6. Jesus is teaching basically the same thing he did in Mark, 11, chapter, uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 22. He says, So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it... A tree, it would obey you. You may say this is crazy, but I'm telling you, Keisha will tell you, we've spoken to lawnmowers, we've spoken to refrigerators, we've spoken to bodies, we've spoken to, uh, I've spoken to weather. We have spoken to so many things and seen it just obey us, right? I remember one time I had a lawnmower. Oh, my gosh, I'd, I'd fight that thing and fight that thing, and I couldn't tell how many times I would just kick it. And just just go, walk back up the hill, and I'd go in uh, in the house saying everything short of a cuss word, right? Because I'm burning up. It's 105 degrees out in the middle of summer, and I'm trying to. And this stu stupid lawnmower. If Graham hears me say, he's gonna get on to me. We don't say that word. But this this stupid lawnmower will not run good, right? And here's Keisha. She's like, you know, Keisha did not grow up with all the religious tradition that I did. Right? Keisha has no religious baggage. She came into this thing a child of grace, and so when people come at her legalism, she's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So um, so here I come in the house, burning up, I'm mad, and Keisha's just like, I got this. Right? 
I got this. Like George Lopez, I got this, right? So she goes, and I can't tell how many times I've seen her do it. I'm telling you, three or four times I've seen her march down that hill, and I've seen her just like, I see her lift her hands up, and I see her say, and I know what she's saying, in the name of Jesus, start. And she pulls it, and I hear, wah, 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 like, and just like, and it wouldn't stop the rest of the day, you know. I remember one time we had a refrigerator, and this thing was going crazy. It was just like, it was the ice maker, just constantly just making this noise. We didn't know what was up, and we'd kick it, hit it. You know, we tried to fix it with parts and stuff, and it just was working. And just one day, I just laid hands on it, and I, I was almost joking. I said, in the name of Jesus, stop. It just quit. Like, I'm telling you, as soon as I said stop, it just went, it's like, blah, 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 stop. Mm -hmm. Like, it just quit. And I never had, the rest of the time we had that house and that refrigerator, which is like another two years, we never had a problem with that refrigerator. It will obey you. And if a tree will obey you, if a refrigerator will obey you, if a, a lawnmower will obey you, how much more a tumor? How much more arthritis? How much more any circumstance that you can think of, how much more so will it obey you? Right? But what I want to focus on is, here's a question that people get into when we're talking about this a lot. Um, all right, so you're saying that we got to speak to it. Well, how many times do I speak to it? It's because I've heard teaching that, well, if you speak to it more than once, you're in doubt. All right, because you're basically saying, well, the first time didn't work, let me try again. So it's like this cycle of doubt. Well, that didn't work, let me try again. Well, that didn't work, let me try again. Well, that didn't work, let me try again. Um, this question is answered in this verse in the Greek. All right. So when Jesus said, uh, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say. Now, interestingly, that Greek word is Lego, and that's where we get Legos. You know how Legos build things, right? That's where it comes from. And in the Greek, this word say is in the imperfect tense. And in the imperfect tense, listen what this means. This generally represents continual or repeated action. When the present tense might indicate they are asking, or in this case they are saying, the imperfect tense would indicate they kept on saying. In the case of the verb to be, however, the imperfect tense is used as a general past tense. So, but here he's saying you might say, he's literally saying we could translate it in the most literal way if you would keep saying to that mulberry tree, be removed, plucked up by the roots and cast into the sea, it would obey you. So should I speak to it again? Well, here's the question. Using the tree illustration, did the tree move? No. Say it again. But we're not, see, but we're doing it from a place of, again, the law, they spoke it from a place of do. But we speak it from a place of done, right? We know we are righteous and it has to obey us. So should I speak to it again? Did it move? No, speak to it again. Keep on saying. Just like you, just like, uh, little Finn back there, he's really beginning to love building blocks, right? And I said that Greek word's Lego. It's where we get Legos from. Man, just keep building on it. Just just keep keep hitting that thing. Think about, listen, have you ever seen anybody chop down a tree with one swing of an axe? They have to keep hitting that thing. And every time you can, every time you speak to that situation, 
Every time you, you speak a, a, a spoken blessing over that, or if you have to, a curse over that, it's like you're taking the axe to the tree, right? And eventually that thing's coming down, right? So you just keep on speaking. You just keep on asking. Um, I'll give you another example. Joshua chapter 10 uh, verses, we're going to begin with verse 1. Now, I want to look at another story here. And this one, I'm telling you, when I seen this like a year ago, it just blessed me so much. Joshua chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, actually, let's just go ahead and jump down to... Let's go ahead and j- jump down to verse 7. So here's Joshua and the children of Israel, and they're fighting a battle, right? And God gives them the word that they will win this battle. All right? Look at here at verse 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people were with him, and the mighty men of valor. Listen here, verse 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. A lot of pacifist Christians would have looked at that and said, See right there, I can just chill. God's got this. God does got this, but there was a little something they had to do. Remember, what is our part to do? It's to speak. Watch this. Verse 9. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones and the children of Israel killed with the sword. I love this because you know what that's saying? That God, that when God does things, it works a lot better than when we do things in our own strength. Anyways, verse 12. Listen to this, though. Here's the point. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel. So this actually happens before the hailstones. So remember, God said, I've delivered them into your hands, but no, but look here, Joshua had to do something. Listen to what Joshua says. Pay attention. If you've not paid attention to anything else, pay attention to this. Joshua says, in the sight of Israel, sun stands still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. Let me ask you something. Knowing what we know now in the 21st century, Does the sun actually stand still? Does the sun go around the earth or does the earth go around the sun? The earth goes around the sun. Why would the sun need to stand still? The sun's standing still. But Joshua prays, he speaks, he commands it, sun stands still. And it says, and the sun stood still. Here's why I'm bringing this out. You, even when you speak things imperfectly, that doesn't hinder the power of God. That, and, and I'm going to bring this up because I deal a lot with healing and pray for a lot of people concerning healing. I can't tell you how many people that are like, well, probably the reason I can't, I can't see healing is because, you know, this, this, this faith teacher over here says I need to go to the doctor and find out what it is. That way I can pray more accurately. Jesus, when he spoke to the blind, he never, he never said, uh, you know, he never spoke to a, 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 the condition, the medical term behind that condition, right? 
So here we see Joshua saying, sun, stand still, but the sun doesn't need to stand still. The sun's not the problem. But it says, God listened to him. Right? So, because listen, and I'm, I'm not against the medical community, right? My wife, that's my wife's passion. And I truly believe, listen, something I tell people about right now, there's a difference in the authority of man and the authority of the believer. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 was given long before there was a name of Jesus to pray. All right, that is the authority of man. And I truly believe that part of the authority that God has given to man is our medical community. That doesn't mean everything's good in the medical community. doesn't mean everything's perfect. But I do think part of it is, and we can see that within the last hundred years, when we've got rid of certain, certain diseases and things with, with medical treatment, that is part of the authority of man. Man researching and discovering how to overcome these things, how to operate in dominion over these things, and doing so. All right? So I'm not against that, but I'm just saying if you don't have peace going that route, that doesn't hinder the power of God. Okay? You don't have to know the name of the cancer before God can heal it. You don't have to know why you're going blind before you can speak to it. You don't have to know what that pain in your knee is before you can speak to it. And listen, that's a big thing I see. Like my wife comes and tells me, you know, for you that don't know, she's, she's a nurse, and she specifically works uh, testing people for COVID every single day. And she said she can't tell you how many people she sees every day that come through there, and they're, you know, they're like, I need tests for COVID. Do you have symptoms? No. But I've been exposed, so I want to know. Listen, if you need that for work, no big deal. But I believe it's this big part of us, we just like, we feel like we have to know. Well, I've got to know, right? I've got to know. And here's the thing about it. I'm like, you're exposing everybody else, just going around trying to want to know if you've got it, even though you feel fine. You know, it, it doesn't really make any sense. But I'm just saying God is not going to be hindered by your imperfect knowing of the situation. Only one, there's one thing you need to know to be healed and to be set free. The truth. And you shall know the diagnosis and it shall set you free. It's not what it says. Uh, and then a lot of this, a lot of inner healing stuff, and I'm very much for inner healing. I'm very much for dealing with the issues of our soul. But it does not say you need to know the first time that cell, that cell memory was written on your, you know, whatever, uh, in your DNA to get rid of this. Right? You need to know the root sin of this in order to get you. That's not, that's not the case. Am I saying there's never value in those things? Absolutely not. I think there's sometimes value in things, especially when it keeps coming and coming and coming at you. You get rid of it, it comes back. Get, you get rid of it, it comes back. There's probably something going on you need to deal with. But I'm just saying here today, if you've got a situation going on, you don't have to know the exacts of it to, be, to get rid of it, okay? Um, all right. For the tenth time today, I'm wrapping up. First uh, Samuel chapter 17, verse 20. This is this this is the last portion of scripture here. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 20. We all know this story. This is the story of David and Goliath. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things. And I'm using these Old Testament examples because remember what I said. Anytime God has seen someone who will 
or will attain righteousness by faith. He's always honored that even though they were under a covenant where righteousness came by the law. And anytime they operated in that righteousness, it's always spoke. That's the, the crux of the message this morning. Uh, so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. Now notice, the words that others heard put fear in their heart, but the words that David heard, they didn't put fear in his heart. May we be like David in that sense. Verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Now, so listen to how they're speaking. Have you seen this man? Now, history tells us that Goliath was in between 9 and 10 feet tall at least. All right? So they're saying, Have you seen this man? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. Surely, they don't even leave it as a question mark. He might whoop us. Surely, this dude's going to get the best of us is what they're saying, right? And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. So look at this. They're going to get a hot new wife and they ain't going to have to pay no taxes anymore and it still ain't worth enough, Right? Verse 26, then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what sh like, listen to this. David was right there. He heard the words and he said, what shall be done? He's like, wait a minute. Did you say, did you say hot wife? You know, he's like, wait, hot daughter? Somebody got a hot daughter? Somebody got a hot daughter. That's a and I don't have to pay taxes. Sign me up. Right? Sign me up. <laughs> what shall be done for the man who kills the... It's like, it's like the, the deal was so good, he had to hear it again. Right? For who, and listen to this though, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of a living God? David's like, listen, you say hot woman, I'm in. Uh, who, 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 what's, a, what's a 10 foot man, right? But David is actually using covenant language here. When he's saying uncircumcised Philistine, he's making a contrast between Israel. What was the sign of the covenant in Israel? Circumcision. Right? He's saying this man doesn't even have a covenant with God. Why are you fearing him? He's like, let me get this straight. So that I understand the terms, there's a man here who doesn't have a covenant with God. God's not on his side. Uh, if I whip him, if I kill him, I get a hot woman and I don't have to pay taxes. He's like, and you all ain't signing up for this? Right? Right? Look here. Verse 27, and the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. All right, David, you heard us, right? Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He's talking down to David. You're going to kill Goliath, and you've only got a few sheep that you take care of. Right? Who are you? 
I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you come down to see the battle. Here's the funny thing about that. Who is in pride here, David or Eliab? Eliab was in pride. He was the one in pride. And again, talking about people, you know, people, listen, when people attack you over there, it's talking about social media and stuff, no, nine times out of ten, it is true that they're revealing something in their own heart. Right? And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? I'm, I'm here for a reason. Then he turned, down, he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So David, Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. I'm reading all this. I know it seems like, why are you reading all this? Look at all the negative words, the curses that were coming at David. Everyone's saying, you can't do it. You can't do it. Who are you? Who are you? But David keeps the righteousness of faith speaks. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has both killed the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said... The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the... So, Paul, I mean, excuse me, David was speaking out of covenant language, but also now he was speaking out of experience. If you'll just begin to do this, you'll, be, you'll eventually get to that place you're like, listen, I know this is nothing because I once spoke to a refrigerator. Right? I once spoke to a lawnmower. Uh, I once spoke to a cyst. I once spoke to, to a learning dis disorder, whatever, and it obeyed me. And eventually, as you, as you build that up, faith, speaking by faith becomes easier. Verse 34, we're almost finished. But David said to Saul, your servant used to... Uh, wait a minute, that's not where I am. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of uh, mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch while he had and his, uh, which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So listen to this. Here, here's why we're here. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. This wasn't nothing new. David had been being cursed all day. Right? This, this ain't nothing new. They've been cur His own people has been cursing him all day. So when Goliath said something, didn't bother him. Verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Do you know, Jesus said you can speak to a tree. Why? Because it speaks to you. I love when it says Jesus cursed the fig tree. It says, And he answering it said. 
But you don't read where the fig tree ever... Circumstances speak to you. Sickness speaks to you. Listen, this last week, I'm not walking proof in this. I had the sinus infection of all sinus infections. I mean, like, Keisha gives me a hard time about how big of a baby I am. Listen, I was not a man of faith this time last week. I was... I, I can't tell you how I was trying to, like, rip, like he should come home working a 13-hour shift, and I'm like, I need babied over this sinus infection. It is awful, you know. And, and I mean, it, it was just, it was just, it was horrible. And I'd lay at night, and I didn't sleep for, like, three nights because I couldn't breathe. And what was happening there is that, circum- that, was spe- that infection was speaking to me. It was. And God really began to deal with me on this because here I am. I'm on like day 46 of this thing, it feels like. And like I'm about to go to bed one night and God says, you have taken antibiotics. Your wife's giving you two shots in the butt. And you still have yet to speak to this thing. And I stopped right there and I spoke that sinus infection and that next morning I woke up and for the first time seriously in seven or eight days I could actually breathe through my nose right why because the righteousness which is of faith speaks right but listen here what David said verse 45 then David said to the Philistine you come to me with a sword with a spear and with a javelin But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts on the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine. He fell on his face to the earth. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. Here's the thing. David didn't defeat the giant with a slingshot. David did not defeat the giant with a stone. David defeated that giant with the words of his mouth. Before he slung one stone, he spoke the result. David defeated Goliath, not with a slingshot, but with with the words of his mouth. Why? That is the righteousness which is of faith. And it speaks. And according to James, that, that, ki- that type of prayer. Because remember, it said Elijah prayed, but all Elijah did was speak. Right? That's prayer. That's a type of prayer. So the righteousness of faith speaks. So when we speak, man, powerful things happen, guys. Let's not feel like we need to move beyond this. Let's, let's master these fundamentals. You know, there are going to be... A uh, hundred and some guys play in the Super Bowl here in about two weeks. Like 70-some of those on the winning team, they are going to be able to say, we won the whole thing. We won the Super Bowl. We did it. We, we mastered this thing. We won. 
And do you know what's going to happen in about July, August when they report to training camp? They're going to have to – have you ever heard the famous Vince Lombardi speech? Vince Lombardi was a famous uh, uh, football coach, and he led the Packers to the Super Bowl one and two wins. That's how long ago it's been. But it said he showed up on, on day one to his team. He held up a football, and he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. These men were getting paid to play football. And Vince Lombardi shows up on day one and says, Gentlemen, this is a football. Do you know how many of them must thought he is insulting my intelligence? I know what a football is. Sometimes as people of grace, people of faith, we just need to be reminded of the basics. We just need to be reminded of the fundamentals. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to speak to your problems. You don't have to get in condemnation about it. You don't have to start trying to figure things out like, you know, like we do so many times in the grace camp. Oh, yeah, but what about? Yeah, but what about? What about? You just need to speak to your problems. So many disagreements we get into over the Bible and theology and stuff, it's because we just complicate it. Like, and, like, I can't tell you how many people. I had a person come to me one time. Keisha was with me. I had a person came up to me one time after I got done ministering, and they said, are you saying that people who die without Jesus go to hell? Now, Normally, I, I, I try to soften any blow, right? Like I'm saying, I'm, I'm very sensitive towards people. But the Spirit of God just rose up on the inside of me and was like, just you, this person needs to just hear the truth. And all I said was, yes. And that person just looked at me. They said, okay. That was the end of the conversation. But you know what a lot of us would have done? And when I say a lot of us, I'm not saying you guys are different than me. I'm just saying like me at some other times. I'm like, well, you know, that word hell in the Greek and in the Hebrew, you know, like too complicated. Too complicated. I think it's really simple. Sometimes we just need to get back to the truth that Jesus saves people. And nothing but Jesus saves people. You can argue about hell. You can argue about death. But Jesus alone saves people. Fundamentals. Fundamentals. And if that offends you, you know why, why that is? You want to run a bunch of trick plays. That's it. <laughs> you, you, you want to win the Super Bowl running a bunch of trick plays. And you're going to get beat. Okay? So let's just get back to the fundamentals. Let's get back to the basics. All right. Has this blessed you guys today? Um, all right. We'll take up our, we'll take up our offering. And... Uh,